Welcome back. Of course, I'm speaking with the renowned German filmmaker Werner Herzog. Mr. Herzog. Yes. So you recently directed an episode of Sesame Street. What was that experience like? I wanted to introduce children to the idea that their lives will end perhaps when they are younger, perhaps they will get a respite from the grim visage of death and not succumb to his kindly touch until he is much older. But um, I wanted to make sure that children understood that their time in this world is fleeting and that they should enjoy themselves as much as possible. Also, that, that, that they need to count to 10. I see. And that's why your episode was brought to us by the letter Omega. That's right. That's right, Omega, because I believe that they need to understand what Alpha and Omega means. I thought you were going to ask me about my movies and not the torture, I mean, education of children. Speaking of torturing children, let's talk about Klaus Kinski. Oh, God, no, please. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the late seating. I'm Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. This time, its reputation is good, right, Steve? I would say so, and it better be. Yeah, better be. We've talked about it enough, haven't we? Yeah, and the fellow who made it as well. That's right. What movie are we going to be reviewing? What movie are we putting through the grinder to sift through all the pieces to see if we still like it, if it's still good? We are going to review the classic 1989 opera, Fitzcarraldo. It is kind of an opera. I've always lots thought. Of, if it's not an How opera, How come there's no a lot one of... has turned it into an opera? It seems like super obvious, right? Mm -hmm. Like the plot could easily be an opera plot. When he's Either. sitting, when he's on top of the church, denying anyone to be let in until he gets his opera house. Can you that's imagine what that would yeah. say? That's an opera that's right an, there. That's an aria. That's a, yeah, right there. See? <laughs> what movie? Dave, what movie Fitz is this? Fitzcarraldo. Fitzcarraldo. About that Irishman. Yes, the the Irish rubber baron played by Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Honestly, I, I I one of my favorite moments in this movie. Uh, one of my favorite moments in this movie is Klaus Kinski with a straight face saying mm -hmm. to another character, "My daddy was Irish." <laughs> was he? He Klaus was. Was he? Klaus yes. Kinski. My father, my father was Irish, and my daddy my, was Irish. My oh, mother okay. was was a Bavarian vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently something was going on on mom's side because if dad was Irish, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to get filled in here. <laughs> you can barely yes. say rubber baron, rubber baron. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Fitzcarraldo, also called. Dubbing the movie, Jesus! Oh boy, there's quite a bit of uh, of looping here, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of looping. Well, they were shooting, they were filming in the goddamn Amazon basin. I mean, I, I, know. I, I think that it's probably not the ideal environment to record clean dialogue. Probably not. <laughs> Just think He's... of how happy Werner Herzog was to know, like after he got done shooting this movie under these conditions that he was going to have to bring Klaus Kinski back in yep. to loop all of this dialogue. <laughs> to loop all of his dialogue. <laughs> that should have been its own documentary. 
I think that's one of the reasons why the the looping doesn't match up to the vo- to the to the mouth movements. It's because <laughs> did, was like that, that was, was like just was do fun. it once. That was perfect. I don't care about lip sync. Mm-hmm. He said the line. That's good enough. We'll make yep. it work. I, no, okay. Do you have do you have trivia? Please I do have, have trivia. trivia. There's no trivia for this movie. There's very little trivia. It was an uneventful shoot, and nothing, yeah, nothing really happened. Nothing bad happened. Everybody got the, along. The tr- the attempt to make this movie wasn't like a metaphor for the movie itself. <laughs> Actually, there's a there's a reference in the movie. I don't I don't know which came first. If it was in the movie, and then Herzog adapted it, or if it's what Herzog said first, and then he put it in the movie as like a joke. But mm-hmm. um, Werner Herzog the line of him being the well, like the conquistador. Herz- of, yes, the conquistador of the useless. Con- of Werner the Herzog useless, called yeah. him. Werner Herzog called himself the conquistador of the useless. And you and, don't know if that was in the script or if he there, said yeah, it and then put it in the right. Because there's a scene in the movie where someone calls Fitzcarraldo that he says Fitzcarraldo, mm-hmm. you are the conquistador of the useless. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if, if like Herzog put that in because that's what he started calling himself. Or I'm I'm not sure which came first, but mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Trivia. Let's go. Trivia. Trivia. It was directed by the conquistador of the useless. <laughs> um so yes, uh this was a very troubled production. It's it's legendary for what a troubled production it was. There is a great documentary about it called Burden of Dreams that was yep. that was actually shot concurrent to the production of the film that details a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, at, and so here's just some here's some examples of just the troubles that they experienced during produce production of uh, Fitzcarraldo. So uh, it was all shot on location in South America, in Peru, and in other areas around the Amazon basin. Yep. Um, at one point, a band of indigenous people attacked the crew. Yep. Uh, the wife of a crew member was struck in the abdomen by an arrow mm-hmm. and had to undergo emergency surgery in order to save her life. And how many people died? Is, um, how many people did die? Two. Two people died, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this person didn't die, though, but... No. Uh, but, no, but no. Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog described Werner Herzog assisted in the surgery of this woman who was hit by the arrow. And this is what Werner Herzog said. I assisted by illuminating her abdominal cavity with a torchlight and with my other hand sprayed with repellent the clouds of mosquitoes that swarmed around the blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what Werner Herzog was doing. That's right. Um, the cinematographer suffered a serious hand injury during filming it was when yes, they were filming one of the one of the bits when they were dragging the boat up the hill yeah. um and he also needed surgery which yep. was which was performed without anesthesia yep and while he was being operated on one of the prostitutes who traveled with the film camp yep. um helped him to deal with the pain by pressing his face into her breasts that's right you know it's like giving mm-hmm. somebody a stick to bite on, but yeah, like better, exactly. but just but, a lot better. But better. <laughs> um, and of course, the there's a car. Point, there was a car accident. There was a car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, but the the focal point of much of the trouble during the production mm-hmm. was Klaus Kinski. Yes, it was. Uh, Klaus Kinski and Werner Herzog had worked together before. 
and they had known each other for many, many years. Yes. And they had a very volatile relationship, mostly owing to Kinski just being Kinski a had, Kinski had a volatile relationship with existence. With everything. Not just, not just with Werner Herzog. No. But with no, Kinski, everything yes. and everyone. If you go through if you go through Kinski's filmography and you look up like the production of pretty much every major film that he starred in, especially mm-hmm. if he was especially if he was the star or in a, a substantial role, um, it's almost always you'll find just absolutely awful stories about his behavior. Oh, yeah. or, you know, um, so they clashed repeatedly during the filming of this movie, of course, not just and, him. Uh, he clashed with everybody. Yeah, Kinski, he he fought with the entire crew. Mm-hmm. Uh and he would fight with them over, you know, he like he was he got there's a scene in the documentary where he's pissed off about the catering. Yeah, he hates the food. They're he in the middle it. of the fucking Amazon and he's mm-hmm. pissed off about the food. Um and there and uh uh Herzog once diffused a tense situation with Kinski by calmly eating a piece of chocolate in front of him. Mm-hmm. And the story behind this is because they were out in the middle of the Amazon and they're they're you know they're in the in the the jungle and the heat and the bugs and and treats like a piece of chocolate like a sweet was very prized among the crew because they didn't have that and if somebody could get like a piece of chocolate that was like a nice treat so you know sure. Herzog had Herzog had some that he had been kind of keeping and after a really difficult day with Kinski he went to Kinski's tent and just basically sat down in front of him and just ate the chocolate in front of him. And the idea was that this was supposed to be like a show of authority by Herzog. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He was sort of being like, and nobody has, everybody here wants chocolate. Nobody has chocolate. I have chocolate and look what I can do. I can just eat it right in front of you. Like it's nothing. So That's I'm right. in charge and you should listen to me. But what actually happened was it just really, really confused Klaus Kinski. Yeah, that's all it did. And he was and it worked because he calmed down and he stopped being such an asshole for a little bit. But it it didn't like get the message across. It was just Klaus Kinski going, what is he doing? Why is he eating the chocolate like that? What is this supposed to mean? Um, According to Herzog, Kinski's tantrums were mostly triggered when he saw that people were not paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he would get because there were there were so many there were a, a bunch of just technical breakdowns that happened. There were oh, problems sure. with with camera equipment. There were problems with like they were literally they were moving dragging... a boat over yes. land. It was the, yeah. the the thing that they are that the characters are doing in the movie, dragging the boat over a, a hill. They they actually did that. Yes. So there were all kinds of technical issues related to that. And whenever something like that would happen, when there would be like a breakdown or some emergency that the crew needed to handle, and Kinski realized they were paying more attention to that than they were to him, he would throw a tantrum or start a fight to get people paying attention to him again. Mm-hmm. Because he was a out-of-control maniac. Fucking infant. Okay. <laughs> um, and then of course. There's the story that that we referred to last time when we when we announced we were going to do it's this. It's the movie. most famous story about him. It's the most famous story about Kinski. It's the probably the most famous story related to this movie, and it is the story that because of course they they worked a lot with indigenous people that lived in the surrounding areas of where they were filming, and there were several different tribes of indigenous people that that they worked with, and. At one point, the chieftain of one of these groups pulled Werner Herzog aside and offered to murder Klaus Kinski for him. Mm-hmm. 
to mm-hmm. take care of his problem because Kinski yeah. was obviously a problem for everybody. Now, this and is this local, yeah, yeah, this is how clueless Kinski was at that yes. time. Kinski was convinced that the only people who truly accepted him and loved him were the na- same native peoples, yes, who all thought that he would be better off fucking dead. According to Kinski, yeah, according to Kinski, he got along great. He got along great with him. He said, Oh, I had a great, you know, we had a deep understanding, and you know, we and they we really were on the same wavelength, and it was great. They they all one of them offered to murder him. That's right. Um, because they all pretty much felt the same way about him that allegedly needed to die. There, there has been the, some people have disputed that. Some people have said that Herzog is is making that story up or is exaggerating it. But to me, the important part of that story is this: if you know anything about Klaus Kinski, it's completely believable. Yes, it is. Like whether it's true or not, I can't say I wasn't there. Werner mm-hmm. Herzog says it says it's true. I tend to believe him. For everything um, else that we've talked about in regards yeah. to Klaus Kinski, there's video evidence of it. Oh yeah, yeah. On, we see what a, we, we've seen we, it. We see what a bastard he was on that set. There's it, it's mm-hmm. on film. Um, one of my favorite Klaus Kinski stories that has nothing to do with with uh, with this movie, but just has to do with like what a what a uh, the reputation that Klaus Kinski had completely deserved that preceded him for basically his entire life. Yes, um, and it, Jack Lemon told this story once. I think on like an episode of inside the actor's studio or something, but Jack mm. was, he, he said, um, cause someone had asked him, one of the students asked him on inside the actor's studio, like, do you have a story about being recognized, you know, in public? And Jack Lemon told this story of how once, I think maybe in the eighties, um, he ha- he was, he was in a hardware store in Hollywood. He had to go to a hardware store to get something and he had got whatever he needed to get from the hardware store. And he was standing in line to check out. And the woman in line ahead of him looked back in his direction and like made a face, you know, and like, a sh- like, like, oh my God, you know, like, and at first Jack Lemon was like, well, it seems like she's recognized me, but I don't understand why she would look so worried and shocked mm-hmm. like that. And then he realized that she wasn't looking at him. She was looking mm-hmm. at the person behind him. And so Jack Lemon turned around and behind him in line was Klaus Kinski buying yep. an ax <laughs> and then Jack Lemon was like, "Oh, okay, that's what that lady's worried because about." Because even out of makeup, at one point, Klaus Kinski always looked like a monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was something. Even yeah, she may not have even realized it was Klaus Kinski. She just so thought there was like, a monster oh, buying an axe at the grocery. There's a, at the there's a vampire store. buying an axe. He's <laughs> he's up to no good. Um. One last piece of trivia. Oh, okay. One last piece of trivia. Not about Klaus Kinski, um, but I always like to to make mention of these things. Um, this film is very loosely based on actual events. Yes. Uh, the title character is inspired by a real person named Carlos Fitzcarald, who was a half Irish businessman who lived in Peru in the late nineteenth century, and uh, the the historical events that are taking place during this movie uh are part of what was called the rubber boom mm-hmm. which actually happened in the amazon basin from about the 1880s through the early 1910s it's analogous to the american gold rush turns out rubber um, is really use useful and we take it take it for granted 
Yeah, there was, and were, uh, there was a massive increase in the exploitation of of the rubber resources in this part of the world from mostly from Europeans, but also from some local people as well. Sure. Um, but, uh, and so a lot of people, it was, it was like the gold rush. A lot of people came in and some people got really rich and most yes. people didn't. Um, and Fitzcarraldo actually did pull a steamship over a mountain. Yes. To do something similar to what Fitzcarraldo does in the movie. But in real mm-hmm. life, the real Fitzcarraldo disassembled the ship yes he took it and apart. took it apart took it apart a piece at a time instead of dragging the entire thing in one piece over a in one piece over the mountain right um, because so, you know yeah. it, it makes more sense to take it apart and then cart it than yeah because yeah. dragging a whole ship over a mountain is, fucking is stupid insane. it's stupid it's insane. <laughs> all right so, my yeah, turn anyway, that's my trivia go for okay it. you want to know who made it I yes, I would love to know. Werner Herzog did everything. You know who he is. He's the guy that we've been (laughs) making fun of for the last 10 years. (laughs) Yes, he is. He's probably made he has. I know for a fact he's made more documentaries than he has movies. I think that's right at this point. Yeah. But I mean, he's a brilliant documentarian. Yeah. Brilliant documentarian. He's also made a Geary Wrath of God and Nosferatu. Yes. Right. Okay. He wrote it too. He also produced it, but he produced it along with Lucky Stipetic. Stipetic? I don't I know. Guess. His half brother. So, him and his half brother produced this movie. Hooray. Starring Klaus Kinski <laughs> as Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yes. Th- let's go back over that one more time. Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski. As Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald. Now, yep. Who was the original actor they cast? I think was it was it Jason Robards? It was Jason Robards. Yeah. He got the poopies. He got <laughs> he got he got the poopies. He got dysentery. He got dysentery because they were out in the middle of fucking Peru and he must have eaten or drank something. He didn't, you know, he didn't do what George Lucas and Steven Spielberg did when they went out to the desert or went out to another country and ate everything from a can. And only ate bottled water. He right. must have gone. Oh, I'll eat this, and he ate something, and he got the shits, and then he had to be hospitalized. And he had filmed forty percent of this movie. Yes. And then they said, "Well, we need to find somebody else." And then someone said, "How about, how about, um, how about Klaus Kinski?" And Werner Herzog, who is a glutton for punishment, as near as I can tell, went okay. And then they hired Klaus. I, I see no reason not to do here's, that. Here's a good idea. You know the guy that I have a problem with in a normal setting trying to make a movie? Let's cart him to fucking Peru. There's a part of me that honestly honestly thinks that he did that on purpose because he knew it would drive Kinski crazy. He was doing it to punish Klaus Kinski mm-hmm. for all of the things he had done. But Kinski showed up, despite the fact that he's nowhere near Irish, and he was going to do the movie. Okay. Also starting Claudia Cardinale as Molly, and she's been in, like, she was in the original Pink Panther and Eight and a Half, and uh, what else? Once Upon a Time in the West, and a whole bunch of other foreign movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, this is my favorite part. Jose Lagoy as Don Aqu- Aquilino. Nothing. Yeah. 
but you know, foreign movies that we never heard of. So. Paul Hitcher as Captain. Nothing. Her- oh boy, Steve. Herrick Q. Yeah. Enrique. You say that? Huera KK? Huera KK? Yeah. Enrique Boa. Fuck. Boa Carres as Herrikeke. As the cook, as the cook, nothing. Grande Otello as station master, nothing. Peter Berling as opera manager, nothing. David Perez Espino as chief of Campa Indians, nothing. Milton Nascimento. Milton Nascimento as one of the easy ones. (laughs) You be shut up. I had trouble Ah. with it. As Blackman at Opera House, Roy. Polana as Rubber Baron, Salvador Godinez as Old Missionary, Dieter Mills as Young Missionary, and William Bill Rose as Notary. Cinematography, uh-oh, I forgot to do this part. Cinematography by Thomas Mausch, I don't know. Edited by Beat Maninka Jingalingus. Beat? Bete? Beat. Beat Bete, yeah. Manka? Dash? Yeah. Shelling House. There you go. Does that work? Sure. Nothing. Music by Popova. That's not a name. These none of these are names, Steve. What the fuck is Popol? P-O-P-O-L-V-U-A. Popova. Popova. It sounds like the name of like a part of the vagina, doesn't it? <laughs> Got Just an inflamed back. Popova, pull, I'm afraid. Pull back the Popova and clean. Otherwise, you'll need to see the doctor. <laughs> Production companies, Werner Herzog Film Production, Project Film Production, Filmverlag der Autoren, ZDF, Wildlife Films Peru, S.A. Iquitos, distributed by Filmverlag der Autoren, release date, March 5th, 1982, running time. 157, Jesus Christ. 157 minutes. Budget. 14 Deutschmarks. No, 14 million, not 14. <laughs> boy, oh boy, our economy sucks. 14 million Deutschmarks. I don't know what that translates. Don't make me do math. I don't want to do it. It hey, sounds like a lot, though. It's a it lot. Hey, like Steve. You yeah. want to go over run into the i don't know if i want i kind of do i would love to witness some of this stuff firsthand but also i don't want to get dysentery and i don't want to hang around klaus kinski that much i want to watch klaus kinski in movies not have to be around him in real life that's right (laughs) all right you ready yeah ready to run into the world of fitzcarraldo where i want my opera house i want my opera house All right, then let's me and you, let's me and you run into this nightmare of a movie. <laughs> it's Corraldo, Steve, take it away. Well, first we get some some mysterious fog shrouded shots of the Amazon. Oh, wow. We get, uh, we get a little opening title explaining that this region of the world was thought of by the natives as a place where God did not finish creation and he won't finish it until people leave 
He won't finish it until man has gone. Yeah. They think so he'll that's... come back and they'll finish it. Yeah, maybe. And then we get credits. We see Klaus credits. Kinski trying to row a boat. That's right. Klaus Kinski and Claudia Cardinal show up and Klaus and they're 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 uh going to an opera because there's an opera house in this settlement in mm. the Amazon basin. And this isn't where Klaus Kinski is from. He's from another place called Iquitos that he says is a thousand miles down the river. Mm. So they have just come all this way uh, because there's an opera house here. Yeah. And, and he great, loves the opera. And the great Caruso is performing tonight. That's right. And he's got and bandaged hands, bloody hands right. because, because he's, he's been, been paddling. Rowing. Because his the engine died on the boat and he paddled. That's right. And and he runs up with his with Molly, his girlfriend, and he gets up to the door of the theater and he's like, "You have to let me in." And the guy in the at the door is like, "Okay, first of all, I can't let you in because they already started the show and no no mm -hmm. one will be seated after the doors are closed." Okay, dude. Second, you don't have a ticket. And Fitzcarraldo says, "Yeah, I don't have a ticket, but." I really, really want to see the show. You forgot that in the the, the credits, they also thanked uh, all the Indians that worked on them. all the yes, all the Indians who 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 offered to murder the leading yeah. man. We would like <laughs> to thank you for the offer. Anyway, exactly. um, we see um, a yeah. guy try to give champagne to horses. Yes, he puts it in the feed bucket, which I thought was very nice. And the horse, and then he's like, I want to watch it. And he said, Okay, you can stand back here and you can watch it. Okay, yeah, you yeah. can watch it. And you know what, audience, you can watch it too. You can watch too. We get to watch we, 10 minutes of a fucking opera. We get to watch an opera and we get to see an actor pretending to be Enrique Caruso mm -hmm. singing an opera. And this is this is a big deal because this show not only features Caruso, it also features Sarah Bernhard, who is not a singer. So Sarah Bernhardt is like on stage and she's lip syncing her part. And we see there's an, an actual opera singer off to the side singing mm -hmm. her part. Yes. You know, so at least they're not being sneaky about it. They're no. coming right out and admitting, okay, look, she's not really singing. Okay. It's this girl over here doing this. This is all look, fake. It's Sarah Bernhardt. This is fake. This is all yeah. fake. Everything's made up. Why do you um, care? Isn't it stupid that Fitzcarraldo gives a shit? Yeah, so, it is. So Fitzcarraldo and Molly are watching and there's a there's a point where Caruso like, you know, gets down on one knee while he's singing and he gestures toward the audience. And Molly mm -hmm. is like, oh, Fitzcarraldo, he just pointed at you. Yeah. And Fitzcarraldo is like, oh, he did point at me. Oh, my God, it must be a mm -hmm. sign. So then we cut to a scene later where they're they're talking with the opera manager like the next day or whatever. And Fitz, this is where Fitzcarraldo says, my daddy was Irish. And we're like, oh. <laughs> Sure, Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald. He doesn't say that. His wife says it. No, he says my daddy was Irish. He says my daddy was Irish. Does he say my daddy was Irish? I will never. I will hear Klaus Kinski saying my daddy was Irish in his very non-Irish voice. Okay, for some reason I thought Molly said it. I don't know why. Molly, but Molly does do a lot of the talking for him because Molly believes in him completely. And he, and he wants an opera house. Yeah, he explains to the manager of this opera house. He says, look, I'm from another town down the river. Our town isn't nearly as rich or as nice as this one, but nope. it's coming up. It's going to be someday. It's, you know, the yeah. business is booming. And I want to build an opera house there. And I want to bring grand opera to the Amazon, just like you have here. And, that's right, baby. Uh, and the opera manager is like, oh, that's nice. Well, good luck with that. I guess. I mean, mm -hmm. we've already got it here, so whatever. We don't really care. But hey, have fun. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So then he goes back to Iquitos, which is the little town where he's from. Right. Or where where he where he and Molly live. And Molly runs what is a bordello. Yes. But she she's a whore master or whatever you want to call him. She's a madam. She's Madam Molly. Whore master is better. I'm a whore master. How about whoremonger? No, that means you're hoarding them. That's that's true. That's true. She's not. But anyway, she could be a whore hoarder. That doesn't work. You want to give those things out. You're sharing your horse. You're not hoarding your horse. She runs a girl's school. That's not a school. That? What are they learning? That's... How to suck dick? Oh, and I think they're jobs? learning some things. I think they're learning some things. But anyway, so they get they 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 get back, and Molly yes. goes back to her place, and Fitzcarraldo goes back to his place, which is a treehouse where he lives there with he a lives phonograph, like a child. <laughs> he lives in a he lives in a treehouse, and he mm. plays he plays he has a, a wind up phonograph that he plays opera records on all the time. And some of the local kids come up and listen to the opera and mm-hmm. along with a pig that he says is like, you know, he, he tells Molly's like, you know, it's part of my audience. You know, I have a pig yeah. that's like, you know, that loves opera. So the pig mm-hmm. is there and the kids are there and they're all listening to the opera. And, and uh, Fitzcarraldo seems to enjoy the fact that these, that the kids seem interested in the opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes to, is this, is this where he goes to the poker game? There's a poker game, right? Yeah. There's, uh, some of the some of the rubber barons who have gotten like super rich off of the rubber boom are there playing poker. There's a lot of laughing. Yeah. And and Fitzcarraldo is not rich. Fitzcarraldo no, and Fitzcarraldo is not in the rubber business. He's in the ice business. Fitzcarraldo failed to put a railroad line. Yes, through. they mentioned that. They mentioned yeah. that he tried. He tried to build a railroad across the Andes and failed. Tried and now run he... a railroad, made it run. Now it's done. <laughs> Brother, can you give me an opera house? Give me an opera house. Uh, that's basically the plot. Um, but yeah, so he but we see that he he's not like the rubber barons because you know they have so much money that it doesn't mean anything to them. They oh, yeah. you know, they they're 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 gamblers, they lose money, they don't care. One of the uh Don Ocalino, sort of the main rubber baron who who Fitzcarraldo interacts with, he even says, you know, you you have to experience the thrill of losing money. Like they just they mm-hmm. they're super rich and they don't care. And Fitzcarraldo doesn't like them. You know, you can tell that he really doesn't like them and doesn't understand them. Um, and uh, but he realizes that if he wants to get his opera house built, he's going to have to suck up to them to get them mm-hmm. to help him to fund his opera house. And then right after this scene, we get the other scene, the scene that we've been made. We've made fun yeah. of three times up to this point <laughs> where he where he climbs up into the bell tower of a church. He locks himself in. He He locks the door at the bottom and he climbs up into the bell tower of the church. Mm-hmm. And apparently just decided to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and start Where screaming says, to the people down no below. No one, I am denying yeah. you God. Yes, exactly. This church will remain closed until the city has this opera house. Mm-hmm. I want my opera house. And then they send and the him cops to... burst yeah. in. The cops, <laughs> the burst, cops in burst in and drag in. him out. He goes to jail, jail briefly. Does his wife get him out? Someone gets him out. I can't remember. They who gets say him out of the the guy, the cop who lets him out, said because remember the kids are outside. Yes, and and the the cop who releases him says, you know, the real reason we let you go so early was because these kids have been here ever since we arrested you, and they won't mm-hmm. leave. Yeah, you know, so yeah, yeah. But then he goes home, sees his 
wife. You see, and and she says um, there's going to be a party, and all the rich people are going to be there, and you should go to the party. We'll get you nice and cleaned up, and we'll get you a new suit, and you'll you know do your hair up real nice, mm-hmm. and we'll go to the party, and you can schmooze with the rich people, and maybe get them, you know, to support the opera house. And he's like, oh, okay, great idea. Mm-hmm. So they go to the party, and he talks with Don Aquilino and a couple other people, and Don Aquilino takes like a a, a roll of cash and throws it into a pond where it's eaten by a fish. Or it's eaten by a fish. Because Don Aquilino doesn't care about money and nope. he's, you know, and so Fitzcarraldo really doesn't like this guy because Fitzcarraldo nope. desperately needs money. And here's this guy just throwing it into just a feeding it pond. to a fish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Fitzcarraldo gets his phonograph and sets it up in the middle of the party, just pulls it out of his fucking pocket, pulls it out he... of his pocket and and starts playing an opera record and nobody gives a shit. I mean, a nope. couple of, some, some of the servants do, some of the local like Indians who work there, they seem interested, but the white people, the rich people, they're like, they don't care. And somebody comes up and tries to stop it and he gets into a fight with him mm-hmm. and he, you know, grabs the phonograph and he's walking out and he gets into an argument with one of the other people, you know, one of the guy, I guess the guy whose house it is says, I'll have my dogs cook, make you a sandwich on your way out. Yeah. And, Fitzcarraldo, like, you know, grabs some drinks off of a tray and he's like, here's to your dog's cook, you know, and and he drinks a toast to to Verde, to Rossini, to Caruso. Everything's going to be okay because now one of the rubber dudes is going to take him up the river and show him the rubber stuff, how to do rubber stuff, right? Yes, because, yeah, because like like I mentioned a minute ago, um, Fitzcarraldo is not in the rubber business. He's in the ice business. That's right. And the and the ice business is apparently not getting it done for him. Nope. Um so he and and Molly says, you need to get in on this rubber thing if you really want the money to build the opera house. So mm-hmm. he goes to Don Aquilino and Don Aquilino takes him up the river and shows him how they harvest the rubber from the trees and everything. And and how to be quiet um, on the river because the native people yeah. think if you're not quiet on the river, then they're gonna think that you're uh Evil? I don't remember. Anyway, then yeah. Anyway, he shows him the rubber business. And doesn't yeah. he is that when he makes his proposal for him to well what happens no. is he 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 tell he tells him about he shows him the map after they they he they, they come back to Don Aquilino's office and he's showing him the map of like okay, here's where my territory is and here's where this other company's territory, and there's like this whole area in the middle of the map. And Fitzcarraldo's like, Well, whose territory is that? Right. And Don Aquilino says, like, well, well, you know, there's a lot of rubber trees there. It would be great if we could get there, but there's no way to get there. But we can't. We yeah. can't get there because the the you'd have to take the river down, but there's these terrible rapids between here and there, and no boat could pass through those rapids. So there's That's no right. way to get there. Mm-hmm. And Fitzcarraldo is like, hmm. And he notices there's two rivers that, that are tributaries of the Amazon. And they and come they really run, close yeah, to one they, another. They run side by side, and there's a part where they come really close, and Fitzcarraldo gets a wonderful Grinchy idea. <laughs> and he's like, I think I could do... And he doesn't tell any... He doesn't let us know, or most of the characters know what the idea is yet. Now, if you've, if you've heard about the movie, you know what the idea is, generally speaking, because mm-hmm. this movie is famous for one very specific set piece. <laughs> but he doesn't tell anybody any of this yet. But no. You know that the idea has something to do with this part where the two rivers almost touch. Yes. So he buys a steamship from Don Aquilino. That's right. And he hires a captain and a crew. 
including a crazy cook mm -hmm. and uh, an engineer who is like a spy for Don Aquilino that is yes. right, that is out in the open. That Don Aquilino, he basically says, I want you to take this guy as an engineer because he works for me and he'll let me know what all the other people are doing. And mm -hmm. I don't want anybody, including you, to try and screw me out of rubber by, you know, stealing my rubber. So... And then they 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 set sail, they fix up the ship and they paint it and they fix it. The ship is a little bit of a junker, but they they take a couple of they take a couple of weeks and they fix the ship up real nice. And mm -hmm. then they set off down the river, but they set off down the river in the wrong direction. Because mm -hmm. Don Aquilino stupid. is like Don Aquilino <laughs> is like, why are they going that way? They're going upstream instead of downstream. I thought he was going this way, but he's going the other way. And Molly's just like, I don't know. <laughs> And, and then uh, yeah. they all die at the end. And they all die. Um, and that's the end of the movie. No, they, they go down the river mm -hmm. um, and they and it takes a while because the, the point where the two rivers almost <sighs> meet is like way down the river. Yes. But they finally get in, they finally get to the right tributary and they, they know they're getting close because the captain can tell that the water tastes different. He's a salty yeah. old sea dog and he's like he can taste it. He says it's further like, up. Hey, we're not we're not there yet, but we're almost there because no river tastes like the what is it called the uh, the pakiki pookie the the pakiki pookie let's just say that's what it is no one cares they go up further and yeah, they come to river. the point where he stopped building the railroad that's right yes because his uh, his plan his original plan apparently involves. Uh, harvesting the the rails from his yes. abandoned railroad. Mm -hmm. But the guy who he's left in charge of uptaking this poor abandoned station and its abandoned steam train, yeah, who's still there, who's saying, who's every still year there. I clean it, and it's like, okay, you just abandoned a crazy person out in the middle of the jungle. Well, Fitzcarraldo seems surprised that anybody is there. Fitzcarraldo says he says to this guy, "Weren't didn't you leave with everybody else?" <laughs> and this guy's like, "No, no, I've been here all by myself the whole time." And I mean, he he's not completely by himself. He has a family. It's implied that he married one of the local indigenous people and has kids. Mm -hmm. But like, he's been there basically all by himself, and he's done his best to keep things up. And he's like, "Look, I painted the windows and I painted the signs and I I cleaned the locomotive once a year." And so it's like this dude has been here for a long time. But and then they Fitzcarraldo start taking the like, rails and he yeah. freaks out. He's like, "Don't," he says, "He says, don't at least leave the ones under the locomotive so I can move it." And yeah, is like, okay. "Okay, leave those." Yeah. What do they need the rails for? I can't remember. Well, I think the original plan is that he he wants to somehow use the rails as like a track to pull the ship up. Mm, but right. they realize when they get there that that won't work. The captain mm. tells him, like, if you would if you had told me what you were planning, I could have told you that you can't use the rails. But that's the original idea is something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so they get the rails and then they they keep on going down the river and they get to a settlement where there's a couple of missionaries who are, you know, who have started like a school for the, the local native people. Mm -hmm. um, and this and movie with... is starting to feel a lot like Apocalypse now. It, oh, yeah, it is. The the, the trek down the river. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they hung out with them for like a night. Um, and then they keep going. And now they're getting into the territory of these of this particular band of of Indians who are like 
mysterious and, and said to be very violent and very hostile toward outsiders. The missionaries said they killed some of their fellow missionaries a few years back and they found yep. them like they floated up on shore without a head and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there's actually a really funny line earlier that I forgot to mention where uh, when that when Don Aquilino tells Fitzcarraldo about the violent Indians in this part of, of the Amazon. And he says, have you ever seen a shrunken head? And Fitzcarraldo says, yes, no, not really. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? <laughs> it means that, okay, it means that Klaus Kinsey answered honestly as himself. <laughs> yes. Remembered that he's acting and then said, no, not really. <laughs> Wait, are you asking me or the character? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so they're getting into this region where now there there there's some violent local people or some scary yep. local people, and they're like, "What should we do?" You know. And he plays music at them. He plays opera. Yes, he is. Of course, he's brought his phonograph and he plays opera on top of the ship. And one day they wake up, and their crew is gone. Like the ship's crew has they have abandoned taken the ship. off. Yeah, so it's now it's 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 only Fitzcarraldo and the captain and the engineer and eventually mm -hmm. the cook. They really the, the cook, cook shows up too because he's well said remember because they got rid of the ladies. Asleep. There was a point where they had to get rid of the ladies. Yes, because two guys were fighting, and those guys got kicked off, and then the ladies got kicked off with them, and they were like, "Oh, you'll see, you're we're lucky that we're being thrown off here or something like that," right? Right. And now the rest of the crew is gone, except for the crazy people. Fitzcarraldo and the captain and the cook. And I think that's it, right? Is the big muscly guy still there? The Yeah, he's the engineer, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's still there. And okay. and so, I, you know, at first, Fitzcarraldo realizes that if they don't have a crew, then they can't do what he's planning to do. So he tells the captain, you know what? Fuck it. I give up. Turn around. But before they can turn the ship around, they look behind them and the Indians are on the water, like in their canoes and stuff behind the ship. And they're mm -hmm. like, OK, I guess we shouldn't turn around because they're like right behind us. Um, and then they come aboard the ship. And the cook tells Fitzcarraldo, you know, uh, these people have uh, a story about a great white god who will yep. come to visit on a magical ship. And you know, grant them immortality. And Fitzcarraldo says, "Yeah." And Fitzcarraldo says, "Hey, maybe we can take advantage of this." Huh? Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, "I guess." So, so, so they come aboard the ship, and the cook can speak their language, and he's translating. And he says, he says to Fitzcarraldo, he says, "Okay, so here's the deal: they know we're not gods because they're not mm -hmm. fucking idiots." Um. But they really are impressed by this ship. Yeah. So so they're gonna help us. They're gonna stick with us. They're gonna and so the, the Indians basically join the crew. And Fitzcarraldo's like, yay, we can still do my crazy thing I was playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they keep on going down the river and they get to the part that they've been trying to get to, where mm -hmm. um, you know, there's like a narrow, like an isthmus. And uh and this river, I think it's called the Pachatea. There's the Pachatea that they're on now. And then on the other side of this narrow piece of land, this this little hill that goes straight up and down, um, there's the other river on the other side, which is where the rapids are. Mm -hmm. But they've already gone past where the rapids are. So they, they land at this spot 
And yep. then Fitzcarraldo tells everybody what his crazy plan is. We're going to pull this thing up and over yes. a mountain. Yes. To get to the river on the other, the other river. To get to the river on the other side. And then once we're there, we're going to use this ship to go up and down the river between here and the rapids and collect as much rubber as we can from the trees around here. Cause remember this is like a super, there's so many rubber trees here. Like if anybody can oh, get yeah. here, it's like it's a fortune. rubber city, USA, it's rubber, it's R rubber, rubber city. city, Peru, not rubber USA, city, Peru. Yeah. So we're going to use the ship on this, on, once we get it on that side to, to collect all the rubber and then we'll send for someone else to come down with another ship on the other side to take the rubber back. And that's how it'll be like, we'll carry the rubber over the mountain Right to the other side, and some, and we'll build like a little settlement here to process it and keep it and everything, and that's how this is going to work. So now we have a ship on both sides, right? And so, okay, let's go, let's get started, let's pull, let's pull the ship up the mountain, everybody, let's get, let's get going, and that's what they do, <laughs> and that's what they do. And I, I love there's there's a there's a there's a point when they because they have to like they it's such it's a monumental undertaking like they have to mm -hmm. clear off this entire this this entire side of the they mountain. destroy they, the jungle they, they destroy yeah, they, it they, they cut down the trees they excavate the land they build like a giant ramp for the boat to go up and then on the other side for the boat to go down once it gets over the top um there's a point at where Fitzcarraldo says this is steeper than i thought mm -hmm. so you're like oh you think um, <laughs> but like they build they build like all these pulley systems and they they use the the, the steamship's uh engine as a winch to mm -hmm. pull it up plus there's like people turning cranks and pulling it up using you know just manual power um then at one point the indigenous people go Fuck this guy. Yeah. Well, because what happened? Remember, there's an accident and two people get killed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, it's two people when they first start moving the boat, and Fitzcarraldo's like, "It's going to work. Look, it's moving." And then two people get stuck under it and die. And mm -hmm. then the the indigenous people are like silent for like a day, and then they just they just leave. They're just gone. Yeah. And Fitzcarraldo's like, "Well, I guess we're fucked again." But then they come back and they start helping again. And Fitzcarraldo's like, "Why are they helping us?" Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, I don't know. <laughs> they must have some reason, <laughs> but they don't uh, say. Yeah, they get the rubber. No, they don't get the rubber. No, they get the they boat. Get it, they get the boat to the other side. Yeah. And then the chief goes, I'm going to let the boat go. <laughs> Bye. And, they, and he cuts the boat <laughs> loose, loose to give it back to the river or something i can't yeah remember. well what what's it the, so the yeah the the boat Fitzcarraldo wakes up the next morning and the boat is just drifting down the river toward the rapids because they mm -hmm. cut it loose and a bunch of the indigenous people are on the boat too they yep. it's not like they didn't just abandon it to the white people there a bunch of them are on it too and sure. eventually it turns out what they did was they have basically released the boat and sent it to the rapids as a way of appeasing their gods. Right. As a way of, they believe that there's a curse on this part of the river. And by sending the boat through these rapids, they believe they're lifting the curse. Um, so Fitzcarraldo is like, oh, great. <laughs> great. Um, and the boat goes through the rapids and it's really, it's rough going and the boat gets damaged and it's, it looks like it's going to tip over a few times, but they make it through. So they survive. But they didn't get any of their rubber. Like, and now they're through the rapids and they can't go back. 
because they're on the other side of the rapids. And so Fritz Corrado's plan has completely failed. Like he pulled the, he, they, he had him pull the boat over for nothing. Cause now he didn't yeah. get any of the rubber. Now he's got to sell the boat back. He gets home. He sells the boat back to Don Aquilino. Cause Don Aquilino was like, my business is doing great. I'd yeah. love to buy that boat back for you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, so, so, so Fitz Corrado says, you know what? I have no choice cause I'm financially ruined otherwise. So I'll sell you the boat back, but uh let me keep it for two more weeks and don aquilino is like okay whatever um and for the last two weeks that he has the boat he calls the captain over and he says okay here's what i want you to do i want you to take the boat uh-huh. to the other settlement that has the okay. opera house sure and i want you to uh get me a nice uh velvet armchair from the opera house what oh, oh, oh because okay. i made a because I made a promise to a pig. Oh, okay. Well, so long as this makes sense to somebody. All right, got it. You made a promise and, to a pig, and I got to go get a velvet couch. What else am then, I doing, crazy person? And, and then I want you to... Ah. No, that's against God. <laughs> and he whispers in his ear, and the captain's like, okay. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the captain goes, and he does what... Fitzcarraldo asks and he brings the boat back and he brings mm-hmm. back the entire opera company. How did he do that? They were on boats. <laughs> <laughs> the captain is very persuasive. The entire opera company comes back. Including and they set up Caruso, the right? Isn't including Caruso? Caruso yeah. Yes, including Caruso himself. And they set up the opera that they're, they're performing a different opera now. Now they're doing the Puritans, which is a different show than the one he saw at the beginning. But so they're all dressed up like pilgrims. Um, and they set up the set on the steamship and they sing the opera as the ship goes by Iquitos, Fitzcarraldo's little town on the river. And Fitzcarraldo is there. And for some reason, the pig didn't get invited onto the ship. No, fuck the pig. It's the pig's the, dead. The, the pig has been eaten. The, pig's, the pig has been eaten. It's just the empty chair. That's right. And Fitzcarraldo doesn't sit in the chair out of respect for the pig, I assume. That's right. But, but the chair is there, as promised. And he's there smoking a cigar and listening to the opera being performed. And there on the shore is Molly waving and smiling. And he like yes. smiles at her and presents the opera to everybody. And he's very proud. And that's the end. Great. Steve? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> How long was that movie? <laughs> it two, it's uh, two and a half hours. It's two and a half hours long. And it, how long does it take us to get to the central? That's the central point of this. Getting oh, the boat yeah. over the that's, thing. It takes us an hour and forty five minutes the, just to get the, to there. The first time I watched it, knowing you know the reputation of the movie, I yeah. was surprised by how long, how deep into the film we get before. Oh yeah, the, before the boat haul starts, before it's even mentioned, because again, Fitzcarraldo doesn't tell anybody that that's what he's planning until they get to that point. So you probably, because this movie has been out since 1982 and it has a certain mm-hmm. reputation, and if you sure. are a film buff, like even if you haven't seen it, like you probably know about the movie and generally mm-hmm. what happens in it. So like it's kind of a surprise when you watch it and you're like, oh damn, like they're like 90 minutes into this thing and they haven't even started dragging this boat yet. Um, but they do eventually. So, you know. Yeah, yay. So Steve. Yes. How do you feel about this movie that we've been threatening to review all the ten of <laughs> these years? How do you feel about Fitz Caraldo? 
I like this movie a lot. I really like this movie. Um, of all the major filmmakers in our lifetime, Werner Herzog is the one whose work is the most interested in the conflict between humanity and nature. And I think contains the most awe and fear of nature. Um, and to me, one of the most important scenes in the film for understanding Fitzcarraldo's character is a scene that we didn't really go into specifics about during the summary, but it's the scene where they stop at the church and they're talking to the missionaries. And um, they're talking about educating the children of the nearby indigenous people. And one of the missionaries says, you know, it's really the adults that are the problem because it's difficult to educate the adults into the European way of thinking because they can't let go of their idea mm -hmm. that the world is an illusion and their yeah, dreams are They keep talking about the how the kids, the kids have all accepted God. Yeah. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, but the adults believe that the adults believe that reality is illusory and that dreams are the true reality. And Fitzcarraldo says he's very interested in that idea. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes sense that he is. We see him facing many challenges in the film, um, trying to overcome many different obstacles. The mm -hmm. rich rubber barons who dismiss him and refuse to help him to fund his opera house the reluctance of his crew on the steamship, the mysterious motives of the indigenous people who appear at first to threaten and later to help him. Mm -hmm. But the most consistent and formidable enemy that Fitzcarraldo faces is nature. We learned mm -hmm. that he has previously failed to build a railroad over the Andes mountains. Um, he takes his boat up the river against the current. Mm -hmm. He has the boat dragged up the side of a mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason he feels compelled to do that in the first place is to bypass a course of rapids thought to be impassable. And then sure. he finds himself crashing through those very rapids at the end. So reality, nature is his enemy, which he fights for the sake of his dreams. I don't know if I agree with, with that. Okay. I well, think when it's, so here's, yeah. here's the thing. Cause I okay. want to, I want to kind of break away from us taking turns. Okay, I please. want this to be more of a discussion. And one Fine. of the things. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't think. I think the greatest opponent to him doing what he wants to do is him. He, his, his inability uh -huh. to realistically appraise a situation. We've seen it happen once already with the railroad. Right. Yes. He had a job. Get a railroad across Peru. He didn't do it. He abandoned it. Right? Yes. And yes. left it to some poor guy who's just, hey, every once a year I clear away all the stuff. There's a, there is a working steam engine sitting on tracks that go to nowhere in the middle of Peru being yeah. tended tended by by someone who he left. By one guy. Yeah. By one guy. Now what he wants is he wants an opera house. Well, how do you, you know, how do normal people get an opera house? You raise the funds right. and you build the fucking thing. But what he decides to do is I know how I'll raise funds. I'll drag a boat <laughs> over <laughs> a 350 ton boat 
over a thing of land, get it over to the other side, and that'll fix all of my problems. But even in his plan, he only has half of it done. It's great. Now he has a boat on the other side of the river that doesn't have anything to do with the rabbits. Awesome. They still need to be able to cultivate all of that rubber, get it onto that boat, travel it back across the land bridge. Right. Well, yeah, he's counting on another ship showing up. Sure. To take to take the to take the rubber away. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. It's it's not a complete plan. Um because he's well, an think, idiot. Yeah. He's a child he's, in this. He's he's here's the thing, and this ties into to how you read the ending of the movie. Yeah. Because what happens is just just as we are just as what happened earlier with the railroad that we find out about, um, he fails. In mm-hmm. this. You know, yeah. I mean, he's it, it seems like he succeeds because they do get the boat over the mountain. Yes. But then he ends up going through the rapids and all of his progress is erased because the rapids are the whole thing that he's trying to avoid by doing all this. Mm-hmm. And now he's completely lost access to the rubber region that he that he wanted. Yes. Um, so he has failed in his quest. But he finds a way to kind of do what he wanted because his whole his dream was, I want to bring the opera to Iquitos. Yes. He wanted to build an opera house. He's not going to be able to build the opera house, but Mm -hmm. he finds a way to bring the opera to the town anyway by doing it on the boat. Now. It depends on how you interpret that ending as to what you do with that. Mm -hmm. To me, there are there are two ways to look at it. And having just heard what you just said, I feel like I know how you would interpret it, but maybe mm-hmm. you can see. interpret you can interpret it in a positive way and say, you know, Fitzcarraldo has managed somehow improbably to snatch some tiny kernel of victory from his defeat. And even okay. though he is not going to be able to build the opera house, he has still brought the opera to these people as he promised he would. Mm -hmm. or you can look at it as just another phase of his Mm self-delusion because he has failed again but he but he is unable to yeah again but he is unable to accept his failure Mm -hmm. and say you know what the opera thing is just not going to happen yeah, I'm going to have to find something else to do with my life you know my my dreams are too big my ambitions outstrip my abilities you know, this is this just isn't going to happen. Um, but he doesn't do that. He says, I will still bring the opera and I'll mm-hmm. do it on a boat. And, I, you know, and 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 he seems very triumphant at the end. He seems very happy with what is happening with the opera, sure. on the boat, you know. But so we could either interpret that as, oh, well, good for him. You know, he found a way to make his dream come true in a different way or, oh, shit, this guy really is just completely nuts mm-hmm. because well, he's, you know, i don't he, think he's nuts i think yeah. he's a fucking child he's yeah. he acts like a child throughout the, this entire thing throughout this entire thing his tantrum at the top of the church no one gets to go to church until i get my opera house that's the act yeah. of a child and the way he views things is like one of the things that i really like about this movie is the way it's shot, he clearly Herzog clearly shows the difference between the people who actually live there and the Europeans, right? Oh, big time! There are yeah. always shots of of these people dressed ridiculously dressed in white, you know, walking through or past in indigenous people that have been living there since forever, For, forever, yeah. 
And it gets even better once once they get into the once they get into the jungle, they meet even more indigenous peoples who are using them to a certain extent. You know, they they agree to move the boat over the over the over the hill for whatever maybe ultimately to lift the curse on whatever part of the river that they mm-hmm. they feel that it was there. <clears throat> but this is like there's a part of me that when I watch this going, look how ridiculous the fucking Europeans are. Look how ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? It's not just Fitzgeraldo. It's all of them. But no one gives a shit whether or not he brings an opera house to Iquitos or not. He does. No one seems to give a shit. No. Well, I think one of the interesting things that the movie does as far as that goes is because you're right. They, they do draw a very clear distinction between the Europeans and the indigenous people. Yes, they do. But they, but they also draw a distinction between Fitzcarraldo and the other Europeans. Sure. Um, because the other Europeans are shown, you know, they're, they have more money than they know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they seem to have a more overtly contemptuous attitude toward the native people than Fitzcarraldo does. Mm-hmm. Um, you could say Fitzcarraldo has kind of like a paternalistic sort of condescending view of them. And yeah, but, very much so. Yeah, but, but he doesn't seem to dislike them. He doesn't seem to like disdain. But I mean, them. he's not any um, better than the rest of them. Well, no, but 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 he's look what he does. He, he comes into their home, destroys a patch of jungle to get this ship across across the way to the other part of the river, which winds up killing some of the people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about the people. He doesn't give a when he plays the uh, the opera music on his on his uh, record player, mm-hmm. I don't think he's trying to get them to suddenly appreciate opera. I mean, it's a wholly selfish act, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think he's trying to deliver anything to Akitos that will benefit the people. The people are just another thing for him to utilize. Well, I don't I don't see him as being somehow better or more in touch with the local people than the other rich people are. He's still just as condescending. I don't see him as, as purely that I don't see him as purely, I don't see him as purely anything. I think one of the, one of Mm. the genius bits of the movie is that I think it does indicate, or at least it does lead us to believe or to recognize that Fitzcarraldo is, if not better than at least different than the other Europeans, like his motives are different um whether i do think it ties in a lot with his ego i do think you know he he's not being completely selfless yeah um you know but the other like the rubber barons seem to just enjoy being rich for the sake of it and don't mm-hmm. have any you know larger goals or whatever and fitzcarraldo wants fitzcarraldo wants to get rich so he can do something that he believes is meaningful. Like yeah. he wants to get rich so he can build the opera house. Now those or motives because are he not just loves opera because he just loves opera. Those motives are not pure. You know, it, it, it is tied up in his own ego and his own ambition. Yeah. But this is also a guy who, again, if we believe his story at the beginning, rode a boat like a thousand miles up the Amazon so he could see mm. Caruso sing. So when you say that he's a child, there is a childlike quality to him, both in terms of his behavior, but also in terms sure. of his motivations. And, you know, cause like that's, there's something childlike about that. Like the dude wants to see Caruso sing so bad 
that he and his girlfriend row a boat all the way to the opera house. They don't even have tickets. And that no. ties in and that ties into another part of his personality, which is his sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. Um not in a malicious way, but in a very almost a naive way. He just shows up at this opera house and expects to be let in because he really wants to see the opera. He hasn't yeah. paid to get in. He just even the guy at the in. ticket that's saying he can't come in says, I would love to go in and see it, but I'm yeah, he, not yeah. going to. But then he gets in. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, and you know, so and like you know, climbing up on the church tower and saying there will be, you know, this church will remain closed until until I have my opera house. Mm -hmm. Um, there there is an entitlement to him. Yes. That I don't that I don't think he means, you know, maliciously, but, you know, he he does things that he doesn't really have the right to do. And and but he feels entitled to it because he wants the opera house and because he loves opera and he wants to mm. bring the opera to these people. Um, I don't know if he wants he, to bring the opera to the people. I just think he doesn't want to. Well, he wants an opera that, house in the town that he lives in. Yeah, that's that's practically speaking what he wants to do. Whether whether yeah. he views it as like an altruistic thing or not, I don't know. But mm -hmm. um, there's and, a scene that and, sticks out to me about his relationship yeah. to the people that I think is dem demonstrable when he when he wakes up and all the kids are in his room, mm -hmm. and he reaches up and he then he turns the phonograph on to play the play the opera yeah. music to the kids. Who does he talk to in the room? The pig. The pig. The pig, right? Not to the kids, because he's a fucking pig. He speaks the pig's no. language. <laughs> he doesn't speak their language. There are so many shots that that first shot that you're talking about when he when they rode all the way down, right? And mm -hmm. they get off at the dock. They're walking past native peoples while they're dressed oh, up yeah. to go to the fucking opera. Yeah, you know, you know, to do this incredibly, I. You know this thing that probably shouldn't even exist in Peru in the in the the capital city in Lima, right? It, it, oh, sure. Well, there, yeah. There's a whole backdrop of of colonial mm -hmm. exploitation, like the fact that these European and the movie and, and to its credit, and I think you know Herzog is a smart enough filmmaker and a thoughtful enough filmmaker that this is all here intentionally. Like, oh yeah, the Europe we're we're meant to think that these european guys are assholes and we're meant mm -hmm. to think that they are that they're plunderers and that you know like when they brag about the the guy and the the manager of the opera house says like you know the the really rich people here you know they send their laundry to, to lisbon to lisbon because which the water is in, here which is, is bad. which is across the ocean yes they yes. send their laundry to Lisbon because they don't think the water here is good enough to wash their laundry in. So, like, we're meant to think that these people are assholes. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also meant to notice that Fitzcarraldo thinks they're assholes, too. Now, that doesn't mean that Fitzcarraldo is purely is a good guy, because I don't think he is. Because I don't yeah. think he is. Because he because because Herzog also shows us all of Fitzcarraldo's problems, you know, yeah. mainly his ego and his sense of entitlement and the fact that, you know, like he gets mad at the rich guys for not appreciating opera when he just starts playing his opera in the middle of their party, mm -hmm. which again, nobody asked him to do. He no. just kind of did it because he expected they would hear the opera and immediately be won over to his and side. Give him money. So he and can give build. him and give him yeah. and give him what he wanted. Mm -hmm. and, and when they ignored him, that's when he got mad. And he was yeah. like, you, I, I will outwork you. I will out, you know, I will. I think he tells the one guy he'll gut him. He says, "I will gut you. I will work right. you. I will destroy you." He's having his like, he's having his tantrum. 
Yeah. Because yeah. he's not and getting then, what he wants. And then Herzog said, action, Klaus. And, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so I do. I mean, I agree with you for the most part, but I think I guess I take a little bit more of a sympathetic take on the character because I feel like we're meant we're, we're being shown a complicated perspective. I don't think we're meant to look at Fitzcarraldo and say, yeah, what a great guy. I hope he gets that boat over the mountain and I hope he gets to build his opera house. What a great guy. Um, but I also think we're meant to recognize that, you know, there are some things about him that make him different than the, you know, the just naked colonial exploiters that are there getting rich. See, I think people. he's just, and, and when I watch it, I see him as being just a different flavor of colonial exploiter. He's just a different flavor. He might be nicer to the people, but he's still exploiting them. He still gets two people killed. He's not paying those native Americans to get to no, pull his. And, and, and apparently his plan is to put them to work to get the rubber as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's exactly. Presumably not going to be paying them. Or at least this not is what I mean. very much for that either. Not, his obsession might be different from the other exploiters, from the other rubber barons, but it, it is just as narrow focus, selfish, and extraordinarily anglicized, right? Nobody, no, I mean, yes, he plays, he'll play opera music to whoever, whoever's around there just to say, oh, well, you listen to this, the, the, see, opera is great. You know, the whole belief that Anglo music is the only music and that it'll, you know, charm anybody. He firmly believes that. He's full of shit. And the movie knows he's full of shit. And I think the movie knows that the character himself is full of shit. He's, I don't see him as being aspirational because he wants to do this thing. And if anything, I, I view it as, a, as this kind of, you know... Yes, he has some dark obsessions. Yes, he wants to do some of these things. Yes, he's jeopardized people's lives and killed them. But in the end, he's never going to change, right? He gets, can I keep the boat for two weeks? And then he keeps it, and then he, and then he brings the opera that's being performed on the boat. But it doesn't get to keep the boat. Right. What's well, that's the why next I, thing that he's going to become obsessed about? What's the next that, thing for him? That that's why I tend to take a slightly more positive view of him than you do because mm -hmm. the movie the movie doesn't let him get his way. No, like he doesn't he doesn't get the opera house he doesn't get the rubber he's after the, no. the boat goes through the rapids so he fails, yeah. but he's not he doesn't he doesn't get killed he's not completely ruined and humiliated he gets to have a little no. scrap of triumph at the end. So I feel mm -hmm. like we're meant to feel sorry for him or to sympathize with him a little bit, just to a point. We're not supposed mm -hmm. to want to, we're not supposed to think of him as like, oh, this guy needs a comeuppance and I hope no. this guy suffers. Mm -hmm. He just, he's not allowed to have a victory because, you know, he is not, his motives are not, you know, he's not a true hero. He's selfish and he's entitled and, you know, um, he's he in many gets ways people uh, killed and he gets people killed. And he uses people and exploits their labor and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and at one point at least ex expresses a willingness to take up arms against them. Like when, when it seems like that, the, that the indigenous people are going to turn on him, there's mm -hmm. a moment where he turn he turns to the captain of the boat and says, should we load the rifles? Yeah. You know, so, um, but at the same time, he's not such an irredeemable evil villain that he's not allowed he's allowed a moment of grace at the end and and you don't allow a character 
a moment of grace if if we're meant to just think that he's a complete bastard and and want him to totally fail again what i have unless you don't interpret it as a moment of grace no i'm interpreting the ending as ending as well he's he's an obsessive and he's going to get what he wants because he's a fucking petulant child who demands to get what he wants. And he and he got his opera at the end and everyone clapped and applauded, which fed, of course, his his ego. And the way I look at this is this is a dark reflection of, you know what, just because he isn't exploiting everyone doesn't mean he's not capable of it. He gets people killed. He gets mm-hmm. people killed. He destroys a part of the rainforest so that he can take something else out of the rainforest so that he can sell it so he can build his opera house, mm-hmm. right? Nothing that he wants to do benefits anybody but himself. He may have con- he may convince himself, I'm bringing art or something into the jungle. No one fucking needs it. Half the time that we show regular <laughs> people, yeah. no one asked for it and they don't need it. They're not, it, it's, it is the vainglorious arrogance of of settlers whenever they go into any territory, not just white settlers. I'm talking about any kind of settlers that go into a territory. We must bring our culture. We're going to bring our culture, yeah. and it's going to be it's going to be great. He learns nothing, nothing. He, you know, well, you know, he he put out the opera at that. He's like, it's because that, that's all he was left with. As soon as he's done with this, he's either going to fixate on something else, or he's going to try some other scheme that possibly could get people killed to get what he wants. But in the end, his character has not really changed. He's learned nothing at all. He got to the other side, and he's got to sell the boat back. But can I keep it for two weeks? Sure. But at no point does he ever say, you know what, this pursuit of this was folly or whatever it is. No, his girl, his girlfriend is clapping and waving to him from the from the shore while they perform, you know, another long stint of opera. And he's smoking his cigar and looking at him. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. White suit, cigar, blonde hair, doing something that benefits no one but yourself. Congratulations. And I'm not saying these are bad things. This is my interpretation of it. Right, of course. I don't think there's a reward for the audience to think, oh, he learned so much and he's so much better. It's like, no, no. no I don't think no. I don't think that. I yeah. don't think, yeah. This but, is but just speak- another version of of exploitative Europeans in Central South America or wherever else they wound up. It's just a different kind of exploitation. Don't let someone say I'm bringing art to think that that isn't some sort of exploitation already. Right? Yeah. One of the things that he did was ice. Remember? Delivering ice. Yeah. That was his business before he tried to get into the rubber business. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, you know, the natives were like, oh, that's interesting. What do we do with it? What do we do with ice? I'm bringing ice to the people. We don't even have a word for it. There's a yeah. there's a moment in the when because <laughs> he makes he he has a little ice making machine mm-hmm. on his boat that and he has he makes like a block of ice for the indigenous people after they've mm-hmm. gotten when when they as they're pulling the boat up. Yeah. And and he hands it off to one of the chiefs and he says, "Should we tell them that it's just going to melt? It's not going to it's going to disappear." And and mm-hmm. the cook says, "Well, they don't even have a word for ice. Yeah, they have no need for it. I mean, there's <laughs> like, no ice here. Yeah. There's never been the snow. It's like it reminds yeah. me of the Mosquito Coast. Do you ever see that one? That was the that oh. was the thing. Mosquito Coast, Harrison Ford and River Phoenix. Oh, okay, no, I about the that. dad that wants to bring ice to the native peoples of some." Uh-huh. You know, tropical area. That's his big obsession is bringing ice. And when they finally get it up there, they're like, "Okay, 
what we don't need this it's it's interesting but i don't We've know evolved what... an entire civilization for centuries that doesn't include that, this that's all right. sorry we don't mm-hmm. need this that's weird <laughs> thank you for showing but, us the the weird thing that has nothing we have that apparently nothing. you guys are like really super into <laughs> and sorry. it's the same thing with this and opera i mean ultimately what is opera going to do for them other than the typical anglo we're going to bring culture because we don't think they have any there is something do. about opera there is something about opera um because I've, I've been thinking about opera a lot lately because I, I i'm i did a, a a video on my youtube channel that's coming out in the next couple of days as we're mm-hmm. recording this that that deals a little bit with like the the preoccupation that mostly specifically rich people have with opera mm-hmm. because it's viewed as like a class marker you know, yes. opera is classy. Opera is upper class. Mm-hmm. Opera it's is cultured. Sophisticated. Opera yeah. is cultured and sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Good and, people like opera. And even in the societies where opera originates, in, in, in you know, European societies, mm-hmm. opera is mostly a niche genre. Yeah. You know, it's been around for a long time and it's still enjoyed and you know it's still it's seen as having a lot of value but for it's a very small group of people that are like super into it yes right um so there is a there's not not just i keep saying entitlement but not just an entitlement but a mark of lack of perspective and privilege to think that this 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 thing that is a niche interest in the world you come from mm-hmm. will be of great meaning and appeal to these people mm-hmm. who have never heard of it mm-hmm. and who have their own you know cultural traditions that mean something to them that don't include this yeah you know there is there's some there is something very sort of egotistical but wait till they hear there's Caruso, a reason know? that movies took over the world and opera didn't and yeah. that's mainly because in order to show people in another country a movie, you need a blank wall and a projector. <laughs> Pretty much. And yeah. a movie. You don't need it. Yeah. And you can just show it on there and people go, whoa. You don't have to build a fucking theater. Yeah. Staff it. And then bring in right. people who can sing opera and in a language in a language that they don't <laughs> fucking speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In Italian or German, I think those are the two main ones. Sometimes mm-hmm. maybe maybe in English, but mostly in Italian and German. Yeah. And they don't have no idea what's going on on stage. They have no idea what's going on as far as there being a plot, because they don't speak any of those languages, and they wouldn't be able to afford to get in get in anyway. It's yeah. an elitist you know, highbrow um, thing. And I think it's funny that that's the thing that Fitzcarraldo is absolutely in love with. That's the thing that drives him. He's absolutely in love with opera. Why? I don't know. It's not really explained to us why. He just just really likes opera. He just really likes opera. Right? And I know my my things here, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I still love this movie. Yeah. Okay, but my interpretation of the Fitzgerald character is that he's no different than any of the other colonizers. His, it's just think? a different fa- flavor of colonization. I have no sympathy for him. I don't think he's learned anything at all. 
I don't, I don't admire him. I don't, my view of this is, oh, look, it's another form of obsession. Yeah. What, what do the natives have to endure this time? Right. <laughs> what's then? What's the next thing? Yeah. Just what's going to be the a next fucking boat over a mountain? What's the next <laughs> thing he's going to make him do? For no benefit, because ultimately he just yeah. says, give the boat back and say, oh, well, you know, dead um, people in my wake. <laughs> Speaking what of his girlfriend, I was going to speaking of his girlfriend, yeah, how fucking, how good, of, how good of a cock must he be throwing her to win that kind of loyalty? Because I like, I don't know. Because that's the thing, like, she, and she, she loans him the money to buy the ship. I know. Like she does. he, he, he gets this, you know, harebrained idea and like bursts into her room while she's, you know, doing something with some of the girls. And he has mm-hmm. like maps under, he's like a cartoon character. He's got like maps yes. in his hands that are falling over. And he says, he says, Molly, I've got it. I've, I've got it. You have to stake me. You have to stake me every dime. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't even told her what it is yet. And no. then it's implied that they have sex. And then later mm-hmm. in the bedroom afterwards, he's like laying in the hammock and she's it's a on the really bed. long, weird sex scene with an ocelot. I mean, they don't <laughs> have ocelot on the bed. They, yeah. don't, they don't have sex with the ocelot. It's there. Yeah, he picks the ocelot up and throws it onto the bed. But like, but she gives him the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she does. so she believes in. And whenever people, whenever she's there, and like people challenge him or talk down to him, like she stands up for him. And I mean, she believes in him one hundred percent. Well, you so need somebody. He, he must have done something to win that kind of loyalty. <laughs> um. Because she is like Team Fitzcarraldo, one hundred percent. Well, I think that also is the part of it is is so few people actually give a shit about what he wants, right? No oh, one yeah. gives a almost, damn. No, no one, almost wants, nobody no, else does. Nobody else does. If he didn't have her, then it would be a story of him trying to just suck the money out of these people to convince mm-hmm. them to do it. And instead, they they gave him a girlfriend that actually has a business. Granted, it's not a traditional business; is it's a very exploited again another another white woman, another European exploiting, exploiting the locals. Yeah, exploiting the locals this time. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the overall theme that I get from watching this: is here's what exploitation looks like. Here's how little they care about the people who live there. Here's how little they care about the environment. And what they take out of it, and what they give back, is fucking nothing. Ultimately, well, or, it's nothing. Or they don't they they don't care about what things were like before they got there. No, they they assume that their way of doing things is better. Um, mm-hmm. Because and you you get that. I mean, you get that subtly. You can read into it with you know Molly's. Mm-hmm. Uh, bordello business because yeah i mean those those aren't white girls that are working for her those are no. indigenous girls that are working mm-hmm. for her. um but also you really get it it comes through most clearly in that scene with the missionaries yes you know where where they say like oh you know we can teach the kids and you know now you know i ask one of the kids like what are, are you uh what are you are you an indian and they say no i'm not an indian because no, indians the indians people who can't read they yeah, live like, down further down the river those are those are the indians yeah and the they and they they're people who can't read and don't aren't mm-hmm. educated or whatever and they're they're the exact same people like they're the same ethnic group yep. you know but they've been taught to view themselves as different because, well, you know, those those Indians over there, they can't read. So that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you really get the sense that, you know, 
uh, the Europeans have come and it's not that they, I mean, there, and there are, there are some of them that do seem like Don Aquilino seems to have active contempt for the natives. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but most of them just seem to be very paternalistic and very sort of like our way of doing things is better than yours. So yep. learn how we do it and you'll be better off because we have mm -hmm. our, our civilization is superior to yours and just learn how to do it our mm -hmm. way. And in um, a lot of ways, I feel that Fitzgerald is a fool, but He's doing the same thing that everyone else is. He's just a fool. And he's in someone else's, he's in someone else's country behaving like a fool and in and, and exploiting the and exploiting the people who live there. Yeah. And taking what he can. And ultimately, even if it amounts to nothing, nothing of value that they can, you know, I'm sure he thinks that the performance on the boat has value has value to somebody. But unless you hadn't noticed. It wasn't any goddamn natives watching that opera from the banks. Yeah. It was all the rich people in their, their fine white clothing. Yeah. Not, yeah. you know, you didn't see any indigenous people going, huh, what? Not that they would get much out of it anyway. So, Steve, how do you feel? Uh I recommend, I not recommend, I, you like it, you I, love it. We I, both love this movie. Ooh. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite Herzog movies. It's, it is I'll tell you, I, 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 And I'll say this. If for someone who has never seen a Herzog movie, if you are interested in dipping your toe into Herzog, um, mm -hmm. this is a good movie to start with for a couple reasons. One is if you can sit through this movie yeah. And and be interested and think this is good. Like, that's a pretty good test because You'll most be okay. of Herzog's movies. This is two and a half hours. Most of Herzog's movies, especially like his classic movies from the 70s and 80s, are not this long. They're about no. like a Giri. The Wrath of God is like a, is like an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, Nosferatu is like an hour and a half. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you can sit through this movie and 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 like it and enjoy it and be interested in it for two and a half hours, then that's a pretty good, you know, indication that you will be into some of his other stuff, too. Also. This is maybe the Herzogiest Herzog movie of all of, at least of all of his movies from like his classic era from the 70s. Sure. Because it's like, I mean, Kinski's in it. Mm -hmm. It has this so uh, just gorgeous photography of the natural landscape. Mm -hmm. um, a kind of weird story about a weird guy who does a weird thing. Yeah, for for dubious reasons, like mm -hmm. it's got a lot of classic Herzog tropes that he likes to use. So, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend it. You know, I think it's funny. I highly recommend it, too. What I think is funny is you have two you have two film directors more or less around the same time making a movie in the jungle about a river. Right. Yeah, because yeah, Coppola did. Because uh, Coppola now, did Apocalypse before Now. This. Yeah. But I've watched the documentary about making Apocalypse Now, and it's kind of like, dude, the worst you had to handle was Marlon Brando getting a little fat. Yeah, let's see what you would do let's, with fucking Klaus Kinski. You would have killed yourself had you had Klaus Kinski in the movie. He, cause, yeah, because Coppola had like a nervous breakdown doing. Oh, no. Yeah, everyone Apocalypse seems now. Have, you know, and Martin it, Sheen yeah. had a fucking heart attack and then a mold, yeah. you know, and then a breakdown. And it was kind of like, okay, but compared the two, Herzog came out perfectly fine, you know, because yeah. he's well, because he's you know, because Warner Herzog could fucking eat Francis yeah. Ford Coppola for lunch. I mean, yeah, he could. 
Good. And and again, right. I love I love Coppola. Coppola's work is his Coppola has made some absolutely brilliant films. Sure. I I wouldn't give you Werner Herzog for ten Francis Ford Coppola. No. <laughs> as much as I admire Coppola's work, I would I would take Herzog over. If someone put Coppola. a gun to my head and said, "Okay, which one is it?" I'm gonna you know who I'm gonna side with. I'm gonna I'd be like, with "You don't even you don't you didn't need the gun, dude." Yeah, <laughs> Herzog. <laughs> hey, hey, Steve, do you have a movie? Yes, movie sir. that you'd like to not recommend? I do. I do have a movie Steve? I would like to not recommend. You, you froze. Steve, what happened? Oh, there you go. Oh, are, are you I know now? you froze. I didn't freeze. Well, one of us, we both sort of froze. <laughs> you right, froze fine. from my end. Hey, Steve, do you have a movie that you would like to not recommend? <laughs> I do have a movie I would like to not recommend. So, um, Klaus Kinski made a lot of movies. Yes, he did. Uh, this is a really good one. Okay. His really the ones he made with Herzog are all pretty good. Yeah. Uh, if not if not great. Um but so one of the movies that he made with Werner Herzog is an, another all-time favorite of mine is their version of Nosferatu. Yes, I know. But but Klaus Kinski made another movie much I, later. I know. He where made where a he lot plays a vamp where he where he plays a vampire. It did. It did. Yes. And that's the movie I'm not recommending. It's a movie. It's gone under several titles, actually. Okay. The, the title that it's most known by in the United States is probably mm -hmm. Nosferatu in Venice. I've never heard of this movie. It, it, it's on screen title, at least in the version I watched, is Vampires in Venice, which sounds a lot more fun. Than yeah. it, actually is. it sounds like a like a party movie. Like they're vampires on vacation. In Venice. It's like a yeah. frat house, a frat house of vampires went on vacation exactly. in Venice. Exactly. Not so much. Um, okay. It's not a very good movie. It's um, it, it again, like a lot of these movies I end up not recommending. It has a really impressive cast. Uh, in addition to Klaus Kinski, Christopher Plummer is in it playing kind of a Van Helsing type character. Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Pleasance is in it as a priest. And um, the original idea was that this was supposed to be a sequel to Herzog's Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. But eventually that fell through. And <laughs> the the and the producers said, well, we still want to make a vampire movie with Klaus Kinski. So they made a vampire movie with Klaus Kinski, except Klaus mm -hmm. Kinski. So this was 19. What year was this? This this movie was 1988. Okay. So we're talking like like 10 years after Nosferatu. And Klaus Kinski said, I'm not wearing any makeup. So he didn't want to do like the bald cap well, and like the vampire makeup he, that he did. Of course he said that. Of he said, course. I'm not wearing any makeup. And the director and, said, well, and then he punched okay. someone and screamed at, at a bunch of people. <laughs> Probably. And mm -hmm. then he also said, he said, I want to direct some scenes myself. Oh, God. <laughs> and the director said, the director said, okay. And uh -huh. Klaus Kinski, Klaus Kinski took a crew out and shot some scenes that he directed himself. And what he brought back of the scenes he directed was 10 hours of shots of him walking around Venice. <laughs> so Yay. the director said, okay, um, if you watch the movie, Klaus Kinski's character has almost no dialogue. Mm -hmm. He has a few lines here and there, but very, very few. Mostly it's just him doing things without talking, kind of looking menacing or, you know, just making faces or having like a presence in the scene, but not saying anything. 
That was mostly because Koskinski refused to rehearse or learn his lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so somehow they ended up with a movie that technically is a movie with a story and a beginning and a middle and an end. There are other stories about the production and Klaus Kinski's behavior that I am not going to talk about because they're too depressing <laughs> and too upsetting. Um, but he was a, <sighs> he, he was a huge asshole and a bastard to pretty yes. much everybody on, 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 on the set. Mm-hmm. And there's and, a surprise. You know, yeah, I know. Right. And they ended up making the movie. The movie doesn't really, the movie just kind of ends like it just ends with, Klaus Kinski's vampire character. There's a, there's a there's a, a a woman in the story who like falls in love with him, and then mm. she gets injured and she's dying, and she asks the vampire to turn her into a vampire so she can mm-hmm. live forever. And Kinski's like, "No, it is a curse. I don't want to do that to you." And she says, "Please." And he's like, "No." And then he just carries her away, and that's it. And you don't really know what happens or what any of it means, but that's mm-hmm. the end of the movie. So it's not a good movie mm-hmm. um, and whatever they call it, whether it's Nosferatu in Venice or vampires in Venice mm-hmm. or whatever. So I would, I would not recommend that you watch that. Um, especially mm-hmm. if you like Kinski's uh, work with Herzog. Yeah. So, yeah, now we need go. to, that's we need to do a full declaration on Kinski because you might get the idea that we like him. We don't. As a I, person, he was an absolute nightmare. He was a he, horrible person. He was he a was, nightmare. Yeah. His own daughter published a book about oh, how God. he sexually abused her. He was for, abusive. He was yeah, yeah, yeah. He was awful. He was awful for years. He was not. He was not a good guy. No. Um, and he died of a heart attack at like forty or something. It was like eighty nine. Yeah, he died shortly after the movie I just not recommended came out. Yeah, he and died he was not that old. He was born in no. I think forty eight. Yeah, I think he was younger than my father was, or my father is. Yeah, because um, I think he was born. Let me see. He was born in da, 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 da. no. I'm sorry. He was born in nineteen twenty six. So he was actually much much older than that. He was an active actor from forty eight to eighty nine. Um, but still young. Like I mean, youngish. You know, yeah. But he was a lunatic. He probably had some undiagnosed mental illness. I would say almost certainly he did. Yeah. I mean, for for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was in a psychiatric hospital for a little while. So it was he was he was crazy. And we tell a lot of humorous stories, but he was apparently a nightmare to work with, a nightmare to know. Yeah. And, you know, you try to find someone who who has a good story about Klaus Kinski. You're not gonna yeah, find out. Yeah. <laughs> people people who worked with him, I mean, like like Herzog, Herzog worked with him a lot and knew him. Yes, and Herzog lived with even him. lived with him, yeah. Herzog speaks about him like you would speak about like a natural disaster. Yes. Like like Herzog speaks about Klaus Kinski the same way Herzog speaks about nature, which <laughs> is we, which is it is something undeniably awesome. Mm-hmm. capable capable of amazing incredible things yes. but that is best viewed from a distance yes and, and that can completely destroy you if you get too close to it mm-hmm. or you or you interact with it in the wrong way yeah. like that's how he talks about klaus kinski um yeah all i'm saying is klaus kinski was lucky that Herzog still had scenes that he needed to film <laughs> when those indigenous, that indigenous when those guys. indigenous people asked 
Hey, you, you want to kill like, this guy? Yeah. Can you make it look like an accident? <laughs> they probably wouldn't even ask that. They were alone in the middle of the fucking jungle. <laughs> no, they'll, they'll believe whatever I fucking tell them. They, he'd walk into the jungle on a tired, on a having a tirade about who God knows what cigarettes, maybe. And you know, Herzog would tell the greatest story to the producers when they got mm-hmm. back home about what happened. You know, he was dragged screaming into the jungle and never heard again. Yeah, suppressing a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my turn. As you guys know, I'd like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1982. And the movie that I'm doing does have, have, it's about opera, and I'm not going to recommend it. The movie I'm not recommending is the only movie that Pavarotti was in. Oh, God. Called Yes, Giorgio. That's right. Famous opera singer was going to star in a romantic comedy about a famous opera singer <laughs> who falls in, love, wrong? falls in love with a lady who don't love him. But, but he still pursues her and they still fall in love and have sex and stuff, despite the fact that this famous opera singer is married and has children. Wow. <laughs> sounds like sounds like the 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 building blocks for a hilarious romantic comedy. Oh my god, it was a it's a piece of shit. It really is a just garbage. It's a piece of shit. And you watch it and you're like, who's the guy that's dressed like Dom DeLuise and why is he the romantic lead in this movie? That's the and greatest like, opera singer of his generation. <laughs> that's, that's the greatest opera singer at all. They try everything. They try everything to make him not look as big as he is. They try everything in the world. Yeah. Ridiculous hats, makeup that Monero's his nose, and all this stuff. And you're like, no, that man is gigantic. He's a and big dude. There's no way around a, it. He's a big dude, and he's pursuing this lady. And oh, yeah, he does have a wife and children. Right? That's wrong. Are we supposed to be invested in him fucking some woman, some other woman when he's married and he has kids? No, yeah. we shouldn't. And this happened a lot where it was like, uh oh, a movie producer's secret fantasy about being able yeah. to fuck ladies exactly. is coming right out, and it should be okay, right, guys? It should be okay. And then and no one's saying no, Don. Like, you know, no. most people aren't gonna go for this. <laughs> Most people are going to be like, why is he cheating on his wife? She doesn't but he seem has like she's that bad. And it should be perfectly fine, right? It's perfectly fine for them to, no. to do. What? It's not all no. right? This is why also in the late 80s, all of a sudden, we had a whole bunch of movies, usually starring Brooke Shields, where it was perfectly all right to have sex with a kid. And a yeah. lot of people came forward and said, what? <laughs> <laughs> What you want to this, make the movie about? It's, this doesn't okay. seem right. She's like <laughs> legit 11 years old. What are you doing? And it's like, she's what sexy. You, wh- what? What? <laughs> you know how everybody thinks kids are super sexy. What? No. No. What? It's no. Everybody, it's every, not. everybody, I, everybody I know always talks about how much they want to fuck little kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, here's here's the movie that I want to produce. There's this guy, he's a famous uh house painter and he makes lots of money and he meets a 12-year-old girl. What? And he totally they totally have a she's in love with him and he's in love with her and it's totally fine. Do you know how 
all the way up to fucking what was it? Blame it on Rio, right? Mm. Which came out I think in eighty five, eighty six, somewhere on there. Yeah, but the plot was still adult adult middle aged man having sex with a teenager. Yeah, that well, like when when we talked about uh, Leon and um yes we we talked about this that was that was like a recurring theme in hollywood for an upsettingly long period of time a really long period and they thought and and here's the thing a lot of if you go back and you 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 hear the plots for a lot of movies in the 1980s they thought oh we'll do the switcheroo where it's an older lady and a teenage boy and there's a lot of them there's a yeah. lot of older lady teenage boy movies in the 80s, and everyone was like, Oh, that's perfectly fine as a coming of age story. No, he's 13 years he's- old. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's in middle is- school. And what we is keep wrong with you. Stuff like that. There's even one with, I don't know what movie this is, but there's like a 10 year old kid and the, the old. The woman, the grown woman kisses him and says, okay, come f- look me up in s- seven to ten years. Yeah. And mm. it's like, what? Gross. Gross. So you're acknowledging that you gave this ten-year-old a boner? Is there any way that we can unmake films? I wish there was a way we could unmake it, it movies. Is, it is weird that like it's there. Are, it, there's this attitude that again used to be a lot more prevalent and i guess maybe the people that think this now for the most mm. part like outside outside of republican committee meetings don't share this with other people <laughs> but um they were where it's like well i didn't say i wanted to fuck the 10 year old now mm-hmm. yeah i said when i saw the 10 year old i imagined fucking them in 7 years but it's that's like- not better when you that's not better i mean one of the things that we'll never let go of is george lucas wanting the marion and and um fucking uh indiana jones relationship the implication is that she was like 12 yeah 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 when they first when they first did it and george was perfectly fine with that being a plot point yeah like spielberg had to like pull him aside and be like you, we were not doing that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get away with the I was a child because, you know, maybe she was 18 and he was 26 right. or something. Right. You don't want it to be you don't want to come out and tell the audience that your hero had <laughs> sex with a 12 year old child. <laughs> Mine is a is a leftover from George yeah. Lucas going, oh, gosh, she's 12 years old. And it's like, why? Why are why you doing it- this to us? There's a similar. What do you know? What's really gross? I watched American Graffiti recently. Okay. And there is a whole plot line in there about one of the characters, a grown man, having to drive a very a much younger girl around all night long, like as a babysitter. Yeah. And she she gets a crush on him, and then he kisses her, and all this other stuff. And I'm kind of like, yeah, George, what the fuck? Well, what yeah, the just fuck? Don't. Just keep that shit to yourself, please, please, please. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, anyway, so yes, yes. Giorgio. No, Giorgio. Bad. This bad is re- there's a reason why he's the only one. He, he also couldn't act. Bad you know, Pavarotti. He, he seemed to be walking around having a great time. I'm going to be a movie star. And it's like, no, you're not. I mean, this, this is it, a piece of shit. It's one of those things. It's like when they tried to give Emerald a sitcom. 
You know, it's Wait, like when did great. that happen? It's like no, he had a sitcom in like the no, in like the early two thousands. Yeah, it, no, Shut I swear to look it up. up. I swear to God, no, he didn't. He had a sitcom in the early two thousands, and well, I think it, it was called? just called Emerald. I think it was just Emerald. called Emerald. Okay, but and it was like no, like you're great on a cooking show. Yeah, but but and Pavarotti great in an opera. Sure, but the skills don't always transfer. <laughs> you know, it's like you can be really good at this one thing, and that doesn't uh, mean you're going to be good at other things. You know. I wish you hadn't told me that. How long was it on the air? I think did it, it even barely, make a whole? It, it, did it even it make was, a season? Or was I it think like, I was. I'm, I want to say like maybe like four episodes. Like it was. It was not well received. Let me guess. Dad, he was a chef. I he think had yeah, he fictitious he children probably. He's got to be a chef, yeah. I think it was. I, I think it was. Yeah, he was married and had kids, and it was like, you know, he was like a chef at work. Then the the sitcom was, you know, when he comes home and interacts with his family. It was like standard, like you know, like schlocky sitcom stuff. It's, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. But anyway, so that's like yeah. that's that's like Emerald's version of of that movie. No, great. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. Okay. Yay. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. Hey, Steve, guess what? What? Oh, God. Hey, Steve, guess what? It's time for you to make a terrible choice. I thought you were going to say that. For people who don't know, I make Steve pick the next movie by giving him a b- three choices, A, B, or C. And he doesn't know what yes. those movies correspond to, but the one he nope. picks is the one we're going to review next. And I'm going to tell you right now, the next one, children's movies, live action children's movies. Okay. And all of them are pretty good. So, oh, great. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. Okay. Okay. Not a bad one cool. in there. All right. Okay. All right. So all right. Pick it A, B, or C. Come on. Let's go. Okay. Let's do A. Yay. You picked A. I picked A. Hey, this is a movie we we're just talking about, too. Oh, Had wow. you chose B, we would have done Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We'll get to it eventually someday, but, you know. Okay. You know the good one with Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah, the Gene Rod, the, the Gene Roddenberry, the Gene Wilder the Gene one. Roddenberry the Gene one. Wilder one. Hey, I don't kids, know about the Gene Roddenberry one. That, that might be different. Called Star Trek. Hey, your mom's pretty hot. No, it's okay. I have an understanding <laughs> with my wife, right? Right. <laughs> I made all. I have a. I have an understanding with her. I'm the great. I'm the great bird of the galaxy. Do you know what that? Come back. I made a thing called Star <laughs> Trek. No, not back. Star Wars. Not Star Wars. That's not. I'm not associated with that property. I'm. I'm associated with Star Trek, the better one. No, kids. <laughs> the better, less successful one. No, I don't make chocolate. <laughs> this is different now. This is different now. This is Gene Wilder. No, not that one. Not that. And one. we'll get to it. Or we could have done the witches. Another uh, Roald Dahl. Thing. Okay. Yeah. The original one, not the remake. I can't believe we have to keep saying this. Dave. Yeah. Not, not the remake. The original one. Uh, nope. You know, that was the one that were right around the time that uh, that one had like, I think, two or three names on it that said in memory of because a whole bunch of people died around the time that it was being made. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But no, yeah, but you yeah. picked A and we talked about this movie earlier and we're going to do it. So oh, next boy. time, if you guys want to get all the jokes and understand what we're talking about, then you will rush out and watch. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <gasps> oh, yes, 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 yes. In uh, memoriam. In memoriam. 
May he rest in peace. Yes, we talked about, for those of you who just listened to the regular version of the podcast, we were talking about some Pee Wee stuff in the uncut section before the show that the patrons... Because Paul Rubens has died. Yes. The actor who played Pee Wee has died. I have never felt older in my entire fucking life. To A, number one, Pee Wee has died. Number two, he was fucking 70 years old when he died. Yes, yes, indeed. Which just puts everything in perspective that he's only 16 years older than I, I am. <laughs> when I when I heard that he died, I retweeted the Variety article that announced his his passing, and I said, "R.I.P. P." Let's end the show. <laughs> That's a, but it's a joke. Remember the we were talking about the uh, the original mm-hmm. show, the the Roxy show, the Pee Wee Herman show, where Phil Hartman yes. was uh, was Captain Carl, and he gives him the shell, and he holds the shell up to his ear, and he says, "Oh, I hear a sound in the shell. What is it?" And uh, and uh, Captain Carl says, "It's the sea." And Pee Wee says, "The sea." And Captain no. Carl says, "I, I the sea, P the sea." <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. For late seating, this is Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives. I'll never forget the words my father said the first time my mother asked him to change my diapers. He said, I need men, not milk toasts, who shit in their pants. How do you remember that? The first time oh. you were a newborn baby, how do you mm-hmm. remember what she said to your father, Oh, Steve? Oh, mom, mom told me the story much later. Oh, she, oh! So she re- she retold the story about at the, the uh, harmful, at, yeah. hurtful thing she yeah. said to to your dad the first time it was time for you to at change. The, at, at, yeah, at the party, you know, after my high school graduation, when everybody was there, you know, and she said, "I have the perfect story to tell you about Steve." Oh, I thought you meant that was the first time he changed your diapers, which brought up even even more questions. <laughs> that wasn't the first time. No, goodness. So God. at your high school graduation party, she said, "I remember the day." That your father that I, was to change your diapers I, for the first I, time. Yes. And he said, I need real men, not milk toasts who shit in their pants. He said that to you. He said that to mom when she asked him to change me. You know, that was his reason for not wanting to, because, you know. Yes. That, was that, was, that was that was that. Who's, you, who's okay. the milk toast? Okay. Okay, I'm the milk toast. You're the milk toast. Pants. I'm the baby. Oh, you're the baby. So and the so he's saying, I don't, I want a baby that won't shit in his pants. Yeah, he's saying, I need real men, not milk toasts that shit okay. in their pants. So this is a story about abuse. This is yet another story of my father. Of your father abusing yes. you. Right. My father, who in real life I love and respect. Who's a and pig a ignorant dad. moron who doesn't understand but, how babies work. Is that what I'm getting from you? Within within the within the world of this joke, yes. Within the within the world of the gag, yes. That is that is my father. In the real world, he is not like that at all. But with Steve, real 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 jokes have a kernel of tr- truth to them. Mm-hmm. You know that. Well, the I'm best sure jokes he didn't. Have... Well, well, I'm sure he didn't enjoy changing diapers. Why? What's what if he did? What do you mean? What? what well, why would he enjoy it? That's weird. What kind of a weirdo are you saying, my father? The end of the stink. If he didn't like it, you like just sit there. He's changing diapers, filling. Who the wouldn't fuck? to get rid of the smell? And your kid's not comfortable. You know, your kid's uncomfortable, and you gotta. You know, you're doing something nice well, for you the ch- kid. You change it because you have to. It's like a duty. It's a necessity. Not because it, well, it you, definitely is a duty. It's it is a duty, but you know. 
I'm just saying it's not, you know, it's something that has to be done. It's not good or bad. I mean, it is ultimately good. Imagine what would happen to you if you just said, I refuse to do that shit. And you change your own diaper kid and you walked off. He opens opens the room to your throws things in your bassinet and just says if he if he's smart he'll do it himself. I mean, you could just you know you just stake out like a portion of the house that's like the baby. How about he just like you know what floor. he tapes he tapes you to the fucking toilet like those nightmare stories you hear on the news. Lady found with baby taped to toilet because she refused to change diapers. Oh, those stories that take place in Germany. Nope. What are you talking about? Uh, they love. Wasn't, they don't. They don't ever want anyone to poop in a toilet in Germany, Steve. They want people to poop on themselves <laughs> or on other people. That, that makes no sense. Why waste it in the toilet? What are you talking about? I don't understand this joke where, where they put the baby on the toilet. And they, the baby always has to poop. Poop there on the toilet. You flush and all, it down and it goes away. All that, all that joy, all that joy is destroyed because of the toilet. That does not make sense. I will never oh. forget the first time I came to America and saw my first water closet. And the horror I felt when its purpose was explained. <laughs> That's what happened with me and my mother. She would not... <laughs> She taped me to the toilet, and that's why I am such a bastard now. <laughs> is, that, is that Klaus Kinski? That's Klaus Kinski. That's, this is the Klaus Kinski voice. My mother shouldn't have taped me to the toilet. I want my toilet now. <laughs> Give me my toilet. <laughs> All right, that's it. We're done. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>